This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Today's hot question has to do, of course, with the changing story about the spread of COVID-19. Just as I was talking with Gord a couple of moments ago, we got a release from Vancouver Coastal Health. It is now notifying attendees of the Pacific Dental Conference. It took place at the Vancouver Convention Center on March 6th, saying there was a possible exposure to COVID-19 between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. The person who attended is recovering at home, uh, saying there is no risk to the community, but they are warning people or saying if you were at that conference on March 6th between between two and four, and you do show signs that if there was a potential you were exposed to COVID-19, asking people to call HealthLink 811 if you need more information. So in light of all of the changes and the anticipated updates throughout the day, we are asking people, now that several large-scale events have been cancelled or postponed due to COVID-19 fears, has your level of concern increased? Simple answer, you can say yes or no. You can vote on Twitter at CKNW or at Jill reports. And if you would like to tell us why or get into this a little bit more, by all means, give the buzz line a call 604-331-BUZZ. That is 604-331-2899. Well, as you've been hearing in the news, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is self-isolating along with his wife, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. This after Sophie Gregoire Trudeau developed some mild flu-like symptoms after returning from a speaking engagement in London. She is awaiting test results for COVID-19 although doctors have said this move is out of an abundance of caution. Well, let's bring in David Aiken, Global News Chief Political Correspondent. David, thanks so much for being here. I know you've only got a few moments. Yeah, no problem. And uh, it it was going to be a busy news day here in Ottawa, but uh, this uh, illness with Sophie Gregoire-Trudeau has sparked a cascade of events, uh, made it uh, a busier day in many different ways. So Sophie gets sick and she goes into self-isolation and that sparked her husband, the prime minister, to say, listen, maybe I should be in self-isolation, too, till we know what we're dealing with. And so that's, that was his decision this morning, the prime minister telling us, or the prime minister's office telling us about noon Ottawa time, that he was in self-isolation. And he was, of course, supposed to have been hosting all the premiers for the next day and a half here in an important first minister's meeting, not just important for COVID-19 and, uh, and the economic fallout, but some long-term issues as well, uh, Indigenous relations, infrastructure programs, uh, what to do about fiscal stabilization. There was lots on the table. That meeting has now been postponed. Uh, Premier Horgan, we're just learning, uh, had not yet gotten a plane. He was, he's still in Victoria, I believe. So he, he, he was not in Ottawa, but other premiers were in Ottawa. Uh, Jason Kennedy, the Alberta Premier, he gave a speech at lunchtime, and he learned in mid-speech that the meeting was cancelled. Uh, he's turned around and gone home. Saskatchewan, Scott Moe, same thing. He was here, turned around and went home, and same thing with Ontario Premier Doug Ford. So, so those meetings aren't going to happen. There is going to be a conference call tomorrow, the Prime Minister suggests, uh, with the First Minister. So they'll talk about some things. And presumably the top thing on the agenda, Jill, of course, would be what are we doing about COVID-19? We saw the Prime Minister yesterday announce a billion-dollar COVID-19 response fund. Half of that, half a billion dollars, is going to be set aside for the provinces. And, of course, B.C. is right there front and center uh, in dealing with this. And so that will be there for Premier Horgan's government to tap into uh, to help with uh, their budgets. And I guess the provinces, I know talking to some premiers, their issue was that this is a great, it's a good starting point. How do we get it? What's the, how does the mechanism work? And I think there was some broad agreement between the feds and the provinces that 
If somebody needs some more money, money will be made available. But obviously, a big turn of events, important series of meetings to sort out some issues, short-term and long-term, now postponed. And uh, who knows, maybe our prime minister has got to stay in the home office for 14 days. Yeah. Was there any criticism as to why they were going ahead with this meeting and having everybody fly across the country and meeting in person rather than in light of what's going on, having it as a conference call in the first place? The issue did come up. And in general general terms, uh, premiers will always say it's good to be in the room. And as anybody knows who does meetings, teleconferences and video conferences are great and they can serve a certain purpose. But you get a bit of different kind of meeting when you're in the room. And so I know that premiers and prime ministers uh, you know, for the last couple of decades, I've always liked to make sure they can do it face-to-face. That said, uh, if, if it wasn't criticism, there was some concern, so much so that two premiers, they, they, they were not going to travel here anyways because of COVID-19. New Brunswick's Blaine Higgs said, I'm not coming. And same thing with UConn's Sandy Silver saying uh, his public health official said, don't go. But Premier Horgan was intending to come. And as I said, there's other premiers were already here uh, for this meeting. Um, and now, uh, you know, now we'll see about how our national institutions are going to function. I can tell you, Jill, there was discussion about the House of Commons. You know, what are the contingency plans? How, how what it to function? Because it's not just Trudeau right now who's in self-isolation. He's got two cabinet ministers that are in self-isolation. His, his trade minister, Mary Ng of Mark Ontario, she's out. Seamus O'Regan, the natural resources minister, he's self-isolating. And uh, we had Jugmeet Singh from right there in Burnaby. Uh, today woke up, wasn't feeling well, phoned his doctor. His doctor apparently says, don't think you got the flu or anything, but Jagmeet Singh saying, nonetheless, I'm going to stay home. So Jagmeet Singh is out of action today. And there's another liberal backbencher as well that's in self-isolation. So, you know, MPs travel a bit. Obviously, BC MPs among the, the most in terms of the, the travel bill they ring up. And uh, if they have concerns, can they participate remotely in committee meetings? And could they actually vote remotely in the House of Commons? Answers unknown, but people are talking about those things now. All right, and I know you have to go. Any idea, though, when we will find out if, in fact, the Prime Minister does have to self-isolate for 14 days? So I don't know what it is in B.C., but here in Ontario, we're told they can turn around a COVID-19 test in about six hours, and presumably, whatever speed they can do, they will do with uh, Sophie. So perhaps by dinner time, Ottawa time, we'll know how she's doing or what's going on, but I would expect that we'll get some... Uh, clarity on this. Uh, obviously, it's a big deal uh, as soon as we can, but uh, probably dinner time is as, as early as we might uh, expect something. All right, David, thank you so much. No problem, Jill. Cheers. Cheers to you too. That is David Aiken, Global News Chief Political Correspondent. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday. As expected, the NHL has now suspended its season immediately due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The league has now made that announcement official. I think that's what most people were anticipating. It had advised all of its clubs earlier today not to conduct morning skates, practices, or team meetings as efforts are made to contain the spread of the novel coronavirus. So again, the NHL, I believe the latest large sporting organization to suspend spend its season immediately. Well, that ties into what we are talking about with my next guest. Uh, Lindsay Meredith is joining me on the line, Professor of Marketing at SFU. Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, nice talking, Joe. Uh, so what uh, obligations do you think do big organizations, be it the Juno Awards, uh, the NHL, as we're hearing, the NBA uh, sporting teams, what obligations do they have to consumers in light of what's happening with the spread of this virus? Well, it gets to be an interesting one. There's a, in marketing, we talk about something called social equity, Jill. 
All that means is you're talking about <clears throat> building your brand reputation, who you are in the community, and that takes a long time. It takes years. And you carefully and slowly build that. Here's the problem. If you get clumsy and then make some wrong decisions later, all of that hard work you spent building, you can destroy very, very quickly. A long time to build it, real short time to destroy it. So these organizations are trying to be very careful about how they play this thing out. They don't want to be caught out as being somebody who's being especially, say, self-centered, profit-centered at this moment. Um, things that leave them looking like they're not a good community player. Because they're obviously there in those meetings. What must have been discussed was if anybody goes to one of these events, imagine if there was an outbreak, if even one person was proven to have gotten the virus from this event, it's going to come back at them and going to make them look very bad for not being proactive. Oh, totally. And, you know, here's the big issue with that, that social equity. That's a long term investment. Well, you know what? One short term decision. Once you burn those customers you get a new reputation altogether, which can, if you're a hotel, for example, especially, or an airline, uh, uh, and messing with a, a conference, say, uh, canceling, if you handle that incorrectly, you destroy that brand equity very quickly. You know what? It takes a long time to try and ever get those customers back. So we've got a rule. It's this one. If you want to get a new customer, it costs you roughly eight times as much as it would as if you held on to an old customer. Message, hang on to your old customers. It's a lot more price effective. So these guys realize there's a long-term commitment here called loyalty. And not only is there customer loyalty, there's got to be corporate loyalty back to the customers. It's earned. That's where you get social equity. What about in the case of cruise ships? Because here we are several days after we first heard the instruction from our health officials here in BC, as well, the WHO came out saying there wasn't a ban, but they came out saying, if you can avoid all cruise ship travel. The first reaction from the cruise ship industry was an angry one saying, how dare you only single us out? We're not the only ones here. You're decimating our business. Uh, Things have changed a lot in the few days, though. What about if you're an industry where first out of the gate, you're the one that gets targeted by groups and it's completely out of your control. It is indeed, and that leaves you with that, that problem. I mean, look, clearly you're in business for a reason, and your profit's going to take an awful hit if everything gets closed down all around you. Um, <clears throat> my advice here, look, I agree you're going to take a very, very serious short-term hit. You're in it for the long term. So don't try to maximize or protect your position for that short-run hit. Look at the long-term issue of dealing with those customers forever downstream. It's that lifetime value of the customer that really counts. Don't maximize short-term profit and shoot your foot off for long-term gain. Hmm. Do you feel like in some ways airlines are getting a free pass in that we're starting to see this idea of travel bans now? Uh, We're getting email from airlines and correspondence from airlines saying they're waiving the change fee. They're not doing it across the board, though. It's still only for certain dates. And they're saying, stay tuned. Your ticket might also be if we extend this ban. Are they getting a bit of a free pass in how they respond to this? Well, I think you nailed it already. And that is that this is coming out of the gate very quickly. We're making up a lot of these rules, frankly, as we fly, because we've really not run into very many, many pandemics. And I think you're going to find the the world for the airlines is going to change equally quickly here. Um, this is not over by a long shot. It's going to get a lot more restrictive in terms of the impact on the airlines. And you're right. It's going to be, go beyond just dates and beyond uh, departure points and destination points. It's going to be a much, much broader range. Um, where's it going to go? Kind of more in the direction of, look at what happened to Italy. You almost got a, an entire country shut down. Um, 
the airlines are in for a much rougher ride yet. This is not over. And do you think it's different when you talk about loyalty and you talk about how difficult it is to get new customers as opposed to keeping loyal ones? When it's something that's not the fault of the company, though, it's a very different scenario. It's not as though any of these companies have done something that has caused people to lose faith in their brand. Absolutely correct. And that's the tough part. Sometimes you've got to swallow hard and take a hit over something, frankly, you were, the, you were not the cause of. But boy, are you ever caught in the crossfire? Are you? So the issue becomes one of, okay, where does the, the musical chair stop? Is it the customer is going to get finally nailed? Or is it the corporation who's going to get nailed? Or is it going to be some kind of combination in between? So, for example, let's take the conferences that are getting canceled. Yeah, you can easily say to the people who've already advanced paid, no, we're not giving back your money. We've got a policy here. Um, all I can advise you to say is, think about that customer. Do you ever want to see him again? Because if you burn him this time right outright, even though it's not your fault, um, you're going to have a tough time getting them back. Oh, yeah, what about those conference organizers? How are they going to react when it turns out their conference members start screaming at them because now the hotels that the conference organizer recommended is not going to give the customer any leeway. So, again, it, it comes back. Yeah, is it the hotel's fault? No. But does the kind of buck halfway stop on their, their step two? Yeah. And unfortunately, yes, you swallow hard and partly you take the hit because you're looking at that long-term valuation, not the tor- short-term protect-yourself mode. And even uh, I'm seeing it in in media outlets as well. And uh, I mean, all of our stories are accessible to anybody who wants to go onto our webpage and uh, get the latest information. But I had seen as well the Globe and Mail newspaper, for example, uh, that often has articles behind paywalls, has made a point of saying anything COVID-19 related is not behind a paywall because we want to make sure people can access that information. That's got to get them points, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, those kinds of strategies, again, where you're moving toward the the, the social equity position. That's uh, so why I tell students, it's kind of like you're making a deposit in the bank. And you take those strong social equity positions and you honor them, even though it costs you some money. Um, then when something goes even a little wrong downstream, you know what? People don't turn against you. You have a whole bunch of friends say, you know, something else bad happened and they, they, made, they made a reaction to that. But boy, when it was bad, these were, remember, these are the guys who stepped up also. And they took the hit. They had to, you know, they ignored some of their cancellation policies or they extended the amount of coverage that they would throw in. Uh, They didn't just flat out say, tough luck, take a walk. We got your money, you're out. They said, you know, we don't like it, but okay, we'll split the difference with you. Something like that. At least showing you're making that, that social contribution. So on the other side of that, for some events that are still going ahead, there's the Cherry Blossom Festival in Vancouver is going ahead. Yeah. Uh, I read this morning as well. There's a, the St. Patrick's Day, I believe it's in Gastown Festival uh, event is going ahead. Uh, d- does the, the flip side of that come into play then that people might take offense to the fact that there are still going to be events that are encouraging people to gather? Yeah, in event, eventually, could there be some pushback? Absolutely. But here again, you've already opened that can of worms. Look, you're between a rock and a hard spot. If you go ahead with the event, you're going to have a lot of supporters who work very hard to make that happen say, yeah, I mean, we put a lot of work into this and we want to see this thing be, be taken through. And the flip side is, oh, really? And you started this point way back, Jill. And yeah, suddenly you ran your event and we trace back uh, one or two cases of coronavirus right to your event. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate that. So you know what? You get caught on that one. If I had to make the choice... I would rather be accused of the first problem than get nailed on the second one. Like, yeah, you ignored a a serious social concern 
and allowed the exposure to people to occur. You know, nothing happens bad if it if it doesn't go wrong. But what you're, you you raise the issue: what happens if one or two people get nailed, and the whole thing takes off? That's going to land right in your lap. Uh, do you think businesses and organizations that do these types of events, like you said, it's a we're dealing with a pandemic. It was a declared a pandemic yesterday. We're not used to dealing with this, thankfully. Uh, do yeah. they know? Are they are they kind of writing the rules as they go, or is there protocol for this? Absolutely, writing the rules as they go. Um, the medical establishment are writing the rules as we go as well. Uh, for example, having to do with carrying out research um, when you've got a virus like this, you're going to have to expedite. Uh, the research looking for that magic vaccine as quickly as you can. And that means sometimes you're going to have to start jumping a lot of regulatory hoops just to make this stuff happen and happen in a hurry. So with something like this, what I always tell people is, look, you're stuck with the problem of weighing off risk versus benefit. And always let that be in the back of your mind. So what's the benefit to us if we kind of clamp down? What is the risk if we decide to ignore the threat and see if we get away with it? So sometimes if the probability is low, but the impact is huge, then you know you got to think twice about it. Because if it, if it happens to go bad, oh boy, is it going to be catastrophic. So something like this with a pandemic, maybe it has the potential to be catastrophically bad. I mean, I'm a little suspicious about the sudden death mortality rates out of Iran and Italy versus what I initially saw out of uh, China. So I don't know whether this thing is starting to mutate or not, but I'm a little concerned about that. All right, uh, Lindsay, we will leave it there. Thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. A pleasure talking. Take care. Lindsay Meredith is a professor of marketing at SFU. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Things are changing uh, minute by minute, it seems, when it comes to the spread of COVID-19. More, though, the response to trying to stop that spread. The Vancouver Auto Show announcing its uh, conference, its upcoming show at the conference centre, will be postponed. It is not going to be going ahead as planned because of the concern over large gatherings. And as you just heard Gord say in uh, the news, the stock market's taking a bit of a beating today. So let's keep Robert Levy on the line with us. CKNW business analyst uh, to break down the numbers and see exactly what is happening on the markets. Rob, thanks so much for staying with us. Oh, nice to be with you, Jill. Uh, so we're getting word out of uh, the European stock markets uh, having one of the worst days in history. Uh, gorgeous read the numbers uh, down across the board. What is happening in the markets in light of this pandemic? Well, you know, it's it, so many factors coming into play here and everything's so quickly evolving. So to put it on pin on one thing is a difficult thing to do. But, you know, frankly, it's the fact that this virus is evolving and people don't know how long it's going to last and play out for. So what are the impacts and the ramifications for the global economy? And then that debate, is this going to be a transitory shock, which was the initial maybe response to this, and it would be more short-lived, or is there going to be long-term ramifications, global recession? And that's the talk and the chatter that you're starting to hear now. And then, you know, to follow up on that, with the last night reaction, what we've seen in the markets overnight and today, you know, some people are calling President Trump's speech last night one of the most expensive speeches in history, because what investors are looking for in these markets is, is the certainty from policymakers and regulators on how they're going to react, how they're going to support the economy. And if there is stimulus, a targeted stimulus, is it going to be effective? And what they heard last night from the Oval Office was essentially nonsense, floating the idea of maybe a payroll tax cut and, uh, you know, untargeted measures, uh, the travel ban from Europe. And they don't see that as an adequate response 
And hence, we have that drastic sell-off now again today. And uh, interesting, uh, you mentioned what came out of the States last night. Uh, just this morning, we heard as well from Doug Ford in Ontario. I don't think he actually used the word recession, although I didn't watch the entire uh, the entire conference news conference that he held. But he did make a point uh, very high up in the conference talking about the fact that he needed to keep shovels in the ground. He talked about funding for the SkyTrain project in, in the city of Toronto, uh, very much highlighting the need to keep going to avoid a recession. Yeah, and that's where people are going to look for government support in this scenario. There's very many parallels being made between 2007, 2008 and the global financial crisis. And it seems to be the chatter right now is what's expected from policymakers is to step up in a big way here in order to avoid a situation where we saw the economy, you know, take a downturn as significant as we did. Certainly we don't want to see that. It's hard making those parallels between, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago and today because it's not the same kind of financial crisis. This is a a crisis that started with a virus shock, so something that should be short-lived and we should quickly overtake. But then, especially for Canada, you add into the mix the oil price shock, and and that's where Canada could be hit a little bit harder than, say, the rest of the global economy because, you know, the energy sector and the importance to the Canadian economy. So definitely the response from the Canadian government is crucial uh, to how Canada bounces out of this. Are we able to still separate? Because earlier in the week, we were talking to Mike Campbell about that and about oil prices and about what was happening in Saudi Arabia. Was not a direct, uh, there wasn't a direct link, he said, to COVID-19. Uh, things have changed a little bit since I believe we talked about that on Monday. Uh, but like you said, the oil prices here, people might be rejoicing in BC that the price of gas is a bit lower, but a much bigger issue when it comes to oil prices. You're exactly right, Jill. And that's that's with everything, you know, in, in economics. There's always going to be winners and there's always going to be losers. And we saw that in the Canadian economy in 2016. We had an oil price shock. And there are parts of the world and economies in the world that strongly benefited. In Canada, it was a net negative because of the job losses in the Alberta oil patch and the impact that it had uh, to the Canadian economy. And it's very likely to be the same this time, too. You know, the one distinction to make is, is certainly right that what Mike said, you know, there's no direct correlation between what's happening between Saudi and Russia and then what's happening with the, the spread of this virus. Uh, but what we saw initially with the spread of this virus is you had demand taken out of the equation because the factory stalled. So it was something like China cutting four million barrels a day in demand from the global oil market. And then you add into the fact that you're also taking adding supply to the equation, and it's a double shock for the oil market, and and that's what makes this crisis in the oil markets and the energy sector a a little different than previous instances. So one, you know, fewer buyers, and two, more supply on the market. And how much of it is, and you mentioned the president's uh, speech, uh, the fact that he's talking about this 30-day ban for travel to the United States uh, from Europe, uh, how much of that do you think is is a direct uh, uh, fact-based reaction that we're seeing this happen on the markets, and how much of it is fear? I think what the markets are saying to this is, okay, you ban Europe, but you don't ban travel to other countries. The UK was left off. Uh, there was lack of clarity last night when he was talking about people traveling or did this impact goods, goods that were going to travel across from Europe. Uh, so I think the thing to sort of hang the hat on here is there's no certainty in the policy response. And, and that's what markets are showing unease with. If, if the U.S. was going to come out and say, this is how we're reacting to the virus, 
almost like you've seen, you know, corporations around the world now start to do. The NHL's come out and said, we're suspending hockey until further notice. You know, Princess Cruz is saying we're, we're docking our ships for two months. If the U.S. gives a targeted response of how they're going to approach this and, you know, which businesses they're going to extend easing to or who's going to be allowed to defer tax payments to in order to, you know, withstand this, you know, downturn in the economy, you know, that's going to be the situation that can then alleviate some of the stress and, and give investors certainty, okay, the markets can find a bottom at, at these levels. But, you know, it's the, it's the chatter with no real implications of how this is going to play out or proceed that is the reason people are saying, okay, I'm selling stocks again today because we don't have the certainty of how it's going to continue to evolve. So do you see this continuing then until we get some kind of idea if we've turned the corner on the spread of this virus or there's some idea that we do see an end to it or a stabilizing? Personally, I do. I, 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 I see a little more downside uh, because we don't have that certainty yet. When it comes, and I think it's very possible that it comes to, from you know Trump and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell getting together and figuring out how they're going to get, you know, a government support package through. That could be something that gives the market a little more certainty. The U.S. Fed, you know, continuing to pump liquidity into the financial system. Uh, that will be something that will support markets. But they, it does seem, you know, they're looking for a policy regulatory response to this. And in that instance, uh, then I think markets are going to remain vulnerable to the downside. All right. We will leave it there. Robert Levy, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jill. Robert Levy is our CKNW business analyst. Well, as you've been hearing in the news, the National Hockey League, the latest major sports organization to announce the suspension of the rest of its season until further notice in response to the spread of COVID-19. Let's bring in Rob Williams. He's a sports editor at Daily Hive. Rob, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, no huge surprises, as we'd seen other uh, organizations, uh, MLS, NBA, uh, do this as well. What does this actually mean, do you think, though, as far as people with tickets and the players? Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as people with tickets, um, I know a number of organizations have already announced that they'll refund um, any, ticket, any games that don't uh, take place. Um, so I don't think there's any risk for fans monetarily in that respect um in terms of players um really it depends right now uh, i know uh you know the vancouver canucks for instance are in arizona they were supposed to play a game tonight uh i've seen there's there's been reports that uh players are not to be getting on planes that they're to kind of <laughs> lay low at, at the moment um you know most most professional teams have their own chartered planes, so it's not like you'd be getting onto a um, onto a commercial flight. So there, there's that, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, so much is up in the air right now. Obviously, it's a unprecedented situation. And when Gary Bettman put out uh, the release, his statement earlier today, uh, saying that they would put the season on pause, uh, one of the lines in that was that it seems likely that some member of the NHL community would test positive at some point, uh, saying it's no longer appropriate to try and continue to play games uh, at this time. Uh, I suppose then they, they are likely being commended for not waiting for somebody uh, to test positive, saying that in this environment, it is very likely. Yeah, I, I mean, yes and no. I, I think that I mean, there there would be game. There would have been NBA and NHL games uh, played today had it not been for the fact that um, Rudy Gobert, who's a Utah Jazz player, tested positive for the coronavirus yesterday, and that that's really what what um, kind of fast tracked all 
all of these decisions up until up until then teams were planning to there were certain teams the columbus blue jackets tonight were supposed to play the pittsburgh penguins in a closed door game without fans uh, the, the golden state warriors were going to do the same um but when you think about it rudy gobert was he he played in toronto against the raptors on monday and that's the same arena that the toronto maple leafs play out of um, so, and there's a lot of situations like that in the NBA where that uh, where they have teams that share arenas with NHL teams. So, um, I think the the Rudy Gobert um, being in, um, testing positive it, it was really the big first domino here. Right. So, do you think if we hadn't seen that test, that positive test, instead of this suspension of the league, we might have seen the step of them going ahead with still playing but not having fans in the stadiums? Yeah. I, I mean, I th- I think what what was happening and up until then, the process was essentially case by case, city by city. Uh, if local health authorities banned uh, large gatherings as Rob, are you still there? No, we seem to have lost contact with Rob. He's just dropped right out of there. Uh, talking about uh, whether or not uh, places have ga- have banned large gatherings, and uh, that is something we have not seen here. If you were listening earlier on uh, the program, uh, Simi Sarah was chatting with Kennedy Stewart, the mayor of Vancouver, and I think people might be have been surprised at his take on this because it seemed to be rather business as usual with the city of Vancouver as far as this, but like what we've seen with the NHL, like what we've seen with other places, and I think Rob was absolutely right. Had we not seen that positive test of a player, we likely wouldn't see them uh, taking these drastic measures. Uh, we have reconnected Connected with Rob. Rob, are you there? Hey, yeah, sorry. <laughs> my my cheek hit the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Uh, so, sorry, we were just talking about the fact that had we not seen that player test positive, the NBA player, uh, we likely would have seen. Uh, and players, I know, weren't overly excited by this idea, but we probably would have seen the games go ahead just without huge crowds, without uh, actual fans physically in the stadiums. Exactly. I mean, what teams were doing up until now, uh, up until last night, were um, scheduling closed-door games without fans uh, in cities that where the local health authorities banned uh, mass gatherings, like they did in they did in the San Francisco Bay Area for crowds larger than a thousand people, and they did in the Seattle area crowds larger than uh, two hundred fifty people. Uh, and they also did so in in, uh, in Ohio, so that, that's why it affected the Columbus Blue Jackets. So that was sort of the general process. And, and I mean, even as we speak, the Toronto Blue Jays are playing a baseball game right now in Florida um, on the same day that uh, Florida's governor banned mass gatherings. So you can expect that Major League Baseball will follow suit, I think, shortly and, and, and suspend play as well. But, um, you know, there's an example of that, you know, they're, they're playing games right now. Absolutely. Although you've got to think, if something comes out in the next day or the next day or two that there was somebody that has tested positive in the stands or a player, it's going to be a lot of people questioning, I suppose, why that went ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, this is, um, yeah, like I say, I mean, it's unprecedented. um, I think uh, just as everyone in society is is trying to figure out the the best course of action, the leagues and teams are, are trying to do the same. Uh, so there were 10 games tonight on the NHL schedule. 
Uh, you mentioned a couple of them earlier. Uh, do we know what happens then with the players? Like you said, so the players are being told don't get on commercial flights because I would think the idea being they want to get the season back on track as soon as they can once things kind of turn the corner on the spread of this virus. But if the players, if any of the players become sick, that's going to be extremely difficult. So do you think, are the players being told now to, to very limit their public interactions or are they being told, do you think, to do anything differently? Oh, I mean, I'm sure it just is. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with society, right? <laughs> um, I, I know in Major League Baseball, they they came out yesterday saying uh, that they would not be high-fiving fans or autographing baseballs and, and doing those kinds of things. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I would I would assume that uh, you know once players are are back into their home cities, and I would assume that um, at some point. Um, Team charter flights will will go ahead and, and bring players back to the the cities in which they play. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I think it's it's right now it's um, just a time of uh, extreme caution and and, um, and and teams and leagues are are I think at at this very moment are, are still trying to decide exactly what to do. All right, so we will be watching to see what the next moves are. Rob, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. That is Rob Williams. He's a sports editor at Daily Hive. Well, it seems like every minute there is a new announcement by a group or, or an organization banning or at least postponing whatever event it is they had planned, be it something as big as the NHL or something not as big, but still what many people were looking forward to, I'm sure, something like the Vancouver Auto Show. Well, is the B.C. government doing enough to try and stop the upward curve of this virus, to stop try and stop the spread. Let's bring in Keith Baldry, Global BC Chief Legislative Bureau Chief, on the line with us now. Keith, hello to you. Hi, Jill. Uh, so what is the government doing? Uh, we, we pointed out earlier today, there seem to be still some ministers traveling around today doing some good news announcements, which seems a little bit odd, given uh, that so many other things are being cancelled. Yeah, I've had, some, I've had some conversations with senior people in the BC government today on that point, asking, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you holding news conferences where you've got people in a room uh, closer than two meters apart, uh, and the response I got back was, this is probably going to change pretty quick. I think you've got seven events locked in today, but I'd be very surprised if we see many government announcements uh, in the days and weeks ahead. And in fact, it raises the question, and I've put it to a couple ministers, uh, will the legislature resume sitting this spring? It's off this week. It's off next week for spring break. It's supposed to come back the following week. I think it's an open question whether or not the legislature resumes sitting. Uh, every day we, I talk to Dr. Bonnie Henry about wh- when or if she's going to enact her powers under the Public Health Act and decree an end to mass gatherings, whether this is, we were talking about the Canucks games, this is before the NHL suspended their season. She does have the power. She has enormous powers under the Public Health Act to do all sorts of things, and that includes banning large uh, demonstrations of people. So uh, the government... Uh, I think is doing pretty good in terms of handling this crisis compared to other jurisdictions. But at some point, I wouldn't be surprised if Dr. Henry steps in and takes some pretty drastic action under her powers under the Public Health Act. And I'm glad you clarified that because some of the questions we've been getting as well is who makes the call. Kennedy Stewart was speaking with Simi Sarah earlier today, uh, basically saying the best thing to do, uh, the washing of the hands, avoiding really close contact, but but was giving the impression that it's business as usual, uh, whereas others are saying, well, why aren't we taking more action? Why isn't more action being taken to stop these gatherings? So it would be then 
I mean, I suppose Vancouver could, or, or municipalities could do that, but it would be B- Dr. Bonnie Henry who could say blanket for the whole province. Yes, so municipalities have the power to enact bylaws. Uh, the, the government's pandemic plan, which has been uh, around since nineteen or since twenty fourteen, uh, does include a reference to phase two, which Bonnie Henry doesn't like that term. Uh, but in there, it refers to uh, getting ready to enact emergency powers under the emergency. Uh, program act and the public health act and those those powers are clearly spelled out in the act and they're pretty open-ended so it'll allow two people uh, enormous power bonnie henry dr bonnie henry the public health officer and mike farmworth the solicitor general you recall the forest fire season a, a couple summers ago where a state of emergency was declared in certain areas of the province and that gave uh, farmworth's ministry the power to do all sorts of things whether it was you know forced evacuations expropriation of land uh, seizure of equipment um requiring people to do certain things. Those are some of the powers that could come into play as this virus progresses through our communities. And that means, uh, yeah, the power would come from the provincial health officer primarily. Uh, and under the Emergency Program Act, Farmworth would have the power to order municipalities to take certain actions as well and to respond to emergency orders. So uh, right now it's interesting to see organizations themselves are canceling events. Nobody's told the NHL what to do. They've, they've done it themselves. You refer to the Vancouver Auto Show, uh, the Council of Forest Industries Convention. They, they canceled their convention in Prince George. You're going to see other sporting events canceled and other conventions canceled on their own without being forced to by the government. But don't be surprised if at some point we see a strong order from the people who will have the power to give those orders. Do you see a scenario or how bad would things have to get? Is there any any precedent or could they say stop travel on BC ferries? It could come to that. Uh, Bonnie Henry was asked about BC ferries yesterday. She does not liken that to a cruise ship. She says the problem with a cruise ship, you're in a, a closed environment with everybody for a prolonged period of time, including overnight. And so the chance of infection and spreading is much greater than on a BC ferry. But it is conceivable. <clears throat> Again, she and Mike Farmworth would have the power to restrict travel or to ban travel in certain situations. So the powers are very sweeping. Bonnie Henry is reluctant to, and I asked her directly again yesterday about it, she's reluctant to sort of go that way right now. She's asking for, she's making recommendations to people to to sort of um, do the the prevention measures like washing your hands. Also not to travel. She's asking people to cut down on your travel, again, to to stay two meters away from people. But at some point, if this thing really gets out of hand, yes, she would have the power, and so would Mike Farmworth, to suspend BC ferry operations. But I think we're a long way from that. Absolutely, and not trying to be alarmist, but just looking at what's happening around the globe. And even today, Uh, hearing from the president in the United States saying there is the possibility that he could try and restrict or there could be uh, rules brought in to restrict anybody going into California or Washington State. Because I know Dr. Henry was asked that too. If it gets much worse in Washington State, I mean, nothing is to stop people from coming and going from B.C. to Washington State. Would we take measures to stop that? Well, the border is controlled by the federal government, but... um Bonnie Henry presumably would have some sort of uh, control over some related issues to the border. I wouldn't be surprised at today's briefing, Jill, uh, whether there's going to be a focus on, on Washington State because the numbers keep getting so bad out of there. I mean, it's, it's like the Wuhan province of the United States. I mean, that seems to be ground zero for the worst situation for, for COVID-19. And I expect uh, 
Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix, when they had their briefing today at 3.30, we're going to have a number of questions on that on that very issue. Uh, absolutely. And and just looking at what's happening around uh, the globe and, and, and in large events. And you would think if, if one of the best ways to stop the spread of this thing, even though I think we can all agree the leadership we've had in BC has been very good. People are listening to everything Dr. Bonnie Henry says, and she's been this calm voice of reason. Mm-hmm. But if it is large gatherings, if it is, if there are these steps that could be taken, then why not take them and and do that before things get worse. Yeah, there's a lot of literature now uh, posted by a lot of experts uh, floating around out there recommending just that. You've got to act very early and very aggressively and very and just with alacrity that these, these big measures have to be taken early on to really contain this before it gets completely out of control. That's why I'm not going to be surprised if we don't see those measures enacted at some point by Dr. Henry. I mean, it's conceivable. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I want to be alarmist, but it is conceivable uh, that that transit would have to stop because everybody's packed into transit cars and buses. Uh, Influenza is an interesting disease, and I just invite people to look back, look up your literature on the Spanish flu in 1918. I'm not saying... This virus is nowhere near as dangerous as that. But in terms of how fast it can spread, it's amazing what happened in 1918 and 1919 and what can happen again today. This this disease is nowhere near as fatal as the Spanish flu. In fact, 80% of the people who contract this will estimate to have a mild form of it, but 15% could be severe. And you start doing the math, Jill, in B.C., if even only half the people in B.C. are infected and 15 of the percent of that is severe, which requires potential hospitalization, that means hundreds of thousands of people would have to go into hospital. And we only have less than 7,000 hospital beds in BC. So this is how dangerous this thing can be, which is why it's so urgent to stop this before it gets out of hand. And that means perhaps making those big orders to stop mass gatherings of people and other measures. Well, and exactly. And Dr. Henry, I think, even said if only 1% needs to be hospitalized, it will still uh, put our hospitals, put our healthcare system, be a huge strain. She, she talked yesterday about people having to be moved to other facilities other than hospitals. You would see people in hallways. You'd see people in auditoriums in terms of patients. Uh, and people who normally would be treated in a hospital would not be have access to that hospital. So... Things are approaching here, uh, and it's going to get very, very serious. And I think Dr. Henry should be commended just for the great work she's doing. But, you know, one person cannot stop this from coming in here and overwhelming the system. But she said yesterday, look, we're not all going to be infected. Uh, our hospital system will not be overwhelmed. And uh, right now, I hope she's right. Absolutely. Uh, any talk of, I know on a federal level, there was the waiving of the requirement for employment insurance to get access to that. Because with the announcement of all of these events, I mean, just think of all the workers, both part-time and full-time workers at arenas and at stadiums and workers at now convention mm-hmm. centers who are going to be out of work. Is there any talk on a provincial level if that's something that's being discussed? So far, no, but it's interesting. Uh, the Trudeau government uh, basically allocated $1 billion. Now, they're running a deficit, huge deficit of more than $25 billion, I believe, and are expected to run a budget deficit for some years. The BC NDP government is so far locked into producing a budget surplus. Uh, right now, I think the coronavirus and what happened in the, the stock market, I think is going to push this, this budget surplus into a deficit pretty quick. And it'll be interesting whether Carol James and the NDP make the decision that, well, if we're in a deficit situation anyways, why don't we free up some money to assist people in, uh, in a transition uh, as a result of what happens with temporary job loss from this uh, 
from as far as no indication they're going to do that yet. But I think we're in a whole new territory, Jill, that we've never been in before. This thing is just going to take over our economy and our lives, and it will probably force the NDP to reconsider some of its positions on a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of funding issues because a lot of people are going to be out of work and the economy is going to teeter. And if you're in a deficit situation, anyways, is there really a difference if the deficit's even a little bigger than what it, what it currently is? Uh, they haven't released the numbers yet to, to say it's in a deficit, but I think even with her big contingency fund, I think Carol James has to be worried with what's going on around the world and the impact it's going to have on the government's revenue forecasts. All right. Just before uh, I let you go, Keith, we'd have a caller on the line who has a question. Bob, you have a question for Keith? Yes, I do. Um, if the government health authorities come down with an order, no gatherings of people more than 250 or 1,000, pick the number, uh, will Cape Crusaders, Kennedy Stewart, Mike Farnworth, and the rest, the police and the RCMP, uh, and the park sport come down on 420. Will they come down and take action and, and pick you and I up if we're gathering in a group of 251 instead of 250? Will they show the same courage they showed with the protesters and anarchists on the pipeline protest? That's, that's a good question. It's one thing to make an order. It's another thing to enforce it. Uh, and that's an open question, over what the enforcement would look like. We had that protest on the front steps uh, that lasted for days, which seemingly in defiance of an injunction. Uh, the police never did enforce it. So it's uh, one thing to get an injunction, and that's very similar to what an order from Bonnie Henry would be. Uh, you, you know, an order from the public health officer, you can't gather. If you defy it, what are the consequences? And we don't know the answer to that yet. All right. So we will stay tuned and be listening at 3.30 today. Keith, thank you so much. Anytime, Joe. Take care. All right. As you just heard, another major cancellation. Suri Vaisanki saying they made the very difficult decision to cancel the upcoming event in late April, saying simply they couldn't go ahead with it because of concerns over the spread of COVID-19. We're going to continue talking about this for the remainder of the program. But right now, let's check in with Jeremy Hunka, a spokesperson with Union Gospel Mission. Jeremy, thanks so much for being here. You bet. Thanks, Jill. Uh, when we think about uh, the spread of this virus, and uh, while on the, the bright side, the majority of people who get this virus will recover, the majority will have only mild symptoms. Uh, for the more vulnerable in our society, this could be very devastating. So what is UGM doing now as the concerns over this continue to rise? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and you really nailed it. Um, we are launching a pandemic plan this week at Union Gospel Mission, Proactively to protect uh, our homeless community, our our vulnerable homeless community from the pandemic, um, because we know that our guests are usually among the more vulnerable, and they're usually among those hardest hit by um, illnesses or health conditions. Uh, some have um, they really struggling through uh, things like health conditions. Uh, they might have immune systems that are. Um, not as strong as as the rest of us who are housed, and so they're often hit hard. We know that the life expectancy for people who are homeless is already much lower than those who are housed and doing well, so this is um, something that we want to be proactive and professional. We want to make sure that we're caring for those 
who need it most. Uh, is there a concern as well that uh, people who are in the neighborhood of the Union Gospel Mission, uh, people who are on the downtown east side, uh, people are in close contact. Uh, you only need to be in that area to see whether it's people that are living on the street, people that are gathering. There's always large gatherings outside the Carnegie Center. Uh, is there a concern that people are in such close contact that should this virus make make an appearance there, should somebody have it, it's going to spread very quickly? Well, you're right in that uh, right now we don't have any indication that the, that the virus is present in our community or in the downtown east side. However, if things escalate and the situation deteriorates to the point where we're seeing um, the virus be more widespread in Metro Vancouver, um, we're anticipating that it's possible that it would hit and, and potentially jump from person to person if they're in close proximity. So yeah, there is a, a major concern about that, which is why we're, we have our pandemic plan and why we're um, proactively looking to get ahead of things um, so that we can take care of people should things uh, get worse while we're hoping that they don't. I noticed as well there was the idea that perhaps if things do get worse, you are going to change protocols as far as even how meals are delivered, because that would be a rather large group of people in very close proximity in the cafeterias. Well, we're hoping um, that we don't have to do it. Um, We're certainly not doing it right now, uh, but we're preparing to in case. So right now we've done things like striking an emergency management team um, and we've increased sanitation preventative education those types of things um, but then down the road if the situation changes dramatically we would adjust or in some cases potentially look at suspending some non-essential services so that could be that could be anything from some social distancing in our drop-in services or, or suspending them um, or things like in our cafeteria, we, we could look at potentially serving people to go in bag lunches, hot meals and bag lunches, rather than having hundreds of people come into the cafeteria. Now, again, we, we're not doing that now. We don't want to do that. But if we need to do that to protect our community, um, then, then, then that's something we'll look at. Right. And you may have mentioned this, but again, how many school groups or tours do you usually do there that will now not be allowed to be coming into the uh, the actual facility? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, something that, I mean, every, it always varies, but we have several groups coming in every month, uh, big school groups, and just to limit the any risk of um, the virus being brought into into any of our facilities, um, we're going to effective next week. Uh, just limit the sizes of groups that are coming. We're not going to have dozens and dozens of, of, of people, school groups coming in at one time. Um, that's just something that we think is wise. Um, again, top of mind is our guests and our community. I mean, it's it, it's something that we've got to be prepared for. Uh, absolutely. And staff members as well. I know uh, some companies are telling people to work from home. That's obviously not an option for somebody who's on the front lines of service and helping people in the community. What's, uh, what's in place then to help protect staff members also? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, it's really, it really can be tricky. Uh, some organizations have opportunity to have people work remotely. We we are looking at all the options that are on the table. Um, right now, we're saying if anybody is feeling sick or not or feeling unwell, we want them to stay home, and we are creating a system 
so that uh, if we do have staff that need to need to stay away and we're short staffed, um, that we can move things around, be, be wise, be careful, and make sure that our essential services are are taken care of. And are you concerned at all uh, but with the fact that uh, the, this is so c- becoming, it seems anyway, all-consuming, and that people are looking at this, the spread of the virus, uh, there seems to be a new cancellation every few moments, and we're, we're kind of waiting to see what happens next. Uh, donations probably aren't top of mind. People are very much preoccupied by this. So are you concerned that that could lead to a drop in donations to your organization? I mean, that's a really good question. Don't want to be put in the... We don't want to... Um, we don't want to be put in a place where the most vulnerable around us are not being cared for. We, um, if things get to that point and we're not there yet, then we would have to trust that people in Metro Vancouver would step up. Um, we will be here. We will be here serving um, the most vulnerable um, throughout whatever comes. We're hoping for the best, preparing uh, in case things get worse, um, and we'll just have to have to trust that Metro Vancouver would step up and help us um, serve people. Because um, if, if they don't do that, I mean, you are all they've got. We are all they've got. We need to be there for each other. And uh, we'll trust that people will be generous if that happens. All right. Uh, we will leave it there. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. You bet. Thanks, Jill. All right. Jeremy Hunka, a spokesperson for Union Gospel Mission. All right, lots of different angles and updates throughout the day as we deal with COVID-19 and with the various sporting events, the gatherings, large-scale events all have been cancelled and postponed. We will continue letting you know which ones are not going ahead. That list seems to be a lot longer than the list of the events that are still going ahead. But what about if your workplace is shut down or if you are being encouraged to work from home because of the spread of COVID-19? Well, joining me on the line is Stephen Gilman, an associate at Semfiro Tumarkin LLP. Stephen, thank you so much for being with us today. And thanks for having me on for talking about a topic that's really front of mind for all of us right now. Absolutely. And are you hearing about businesses either privately to their staff or publicly saying that they are going to change the way things are done because of this virus? Absolutely. I mean, we're hearing that from all different sides. Uh, you know, it's not just the NHL, the NBA, and, and other organizations uh, suspending things. It's workplaces as well. So what should you do if you're an employee and you're told, well, we'll take the example of the of the NHL. So the NHL today has come out and said, as we expected, that they are postponing the season, shutting it down right now. So all of those workers that work in the arenas uh, don't have a job right now. There's no reason for them to come to work. Do they just stay at home and wait? Or what kind of recourse do they have? Well, it's interesting. I mean, so we kind of kind of look at two different situations. If you're someone who is ill or suspected of being ill and you're sent home to self-isolate, there's no nothing wrong with the employer sending that employee to do that because it's keeping the workplace safe. But an employer can't simply shut down their operations until this blows over and send their employees home without pay. That that would be a constructive dismissal. So employees have a right to be paid if the entire organization is shutting down. Although it is different if an individual is sick and the employer is attempting uh, to create a safe workplace. All right, because that's come up before as well with individuals who have tested or have been told to self-isolate. We had a woman who contacted us saying she was given the option, either use all your sick days, use your vacation time, that we are not obligated to give you sick sick time. Well, that's also true. I mean, there are 
income protection for employees. So if an employee is ill and not able to come to work, uh, whether it's due to corona or, or some other illness, um, EI, and, and it's not as well known, EI does have sickness benefits. So an employee, uh, there, there is something there for the employee, and the employer isn't obligated to pay the employee. But the employer cannot force the individual to uh, use their vacation time or leave time, um, but can force them to stay home without pay from the employer, but from Service Canada. All right. And that, uh, I believe, earlier this week or last week, we saw that waived so that, um, that that people would be able to access that sooner. Yeah. And in, in, if we think back to SARS, there were a number of different programs in place to help support employers uh, and, and employees in times like this. So it'll be interesting to see what the response from the federal government will be on this. What about workers that don't have the option? It's one thing to have your workplace shut down and having to deal with it that way. What about workers, uh, even in Italy, where the whole country is on shutdown, there's still grocery stores that are open. So there's still people that need to work in those stores, uh, first responders. What about those that don't have the option of not working? Well, thankfully, we're not there yet. Um, So if you don't have the option of not working, your employer, at least in the current circumstances in Canada, your employer would have to continue to pay you. If your employer stopped paying you, it would be a constructive dismissal. All right. And but and what if you're in a position, say you're at a grocery store and your job is there, but you feel unsafe working there? Well, every employee has the right to a safe workplace. Um, and this kind of would look more to what the employer is doing to ensure the employees are safe. And certainly if the employer isn't taking appropriate steps, whether that's providing hand sanitizer, gloves, masks, or whatever is deemed necessary in the specific environment, then an employee would have the right to refuse work. Um, but again, that would be a failure only if the employer failed to provide uh, those protections. And do we see a difference then if you're a salaried worker or if you're somebody that has an hourly wage? Is there any difference there? You know what? There's no difference. Um, the law treats both relatively the same. And where we're at now, there hasn't been, uh, say, an actual directive as far as in BC anyway, not a directive as far as large gatherings. We've certainly seen a lot of events cancelled. Does it change if the provincial government goes into a specific, goes into a different level, uh, goes into, declares a phase two of the the protocol or or changes the rules as far as travel, as far as being in close proximity and being in large gatherings? You know, it, it could have some it could have some impacts, especially if the the legislature uh, comes out with some sort of directive that employers are to follow or employees are to follow. That could override the law at some level. Uh, again, um, that that would be shocking to see, but but nothing should be a shock right now. Uh, you know, the economy is slumping. We're canceling sports seasons. It's 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 a very interesting topic. You mentioned SARS, and a lot of people are comparing, and I know when this first started, we talked about the fact we had learned lessons in SARS and the information that we had gleaned from SARS was really coming into play and was helping in the response to COVID-19. The workplace, though, compared to what it was like during SARS to today, at least I think we're in the position a lot of different places, not everybody, but a lot of workplaces are in the position with telecommuting, workers who already work from home, with at least having that option, don't we? Yeah, no, and that's interesting. I mean, certainly um, a lot of employers are taking advantage of that right now. And as an employer, you do have the right to send someone home if you can still provide them with work and the same level of income. And the employee at that point 
may take that option. I mean, it's something that's much different than, geez, I think almost 20 years ago when, when SARS uh, was top of mind for everyone. Uh, absolutely. Uh, what advice are you giving then, or would you give if somebody was uh, saying either either from an employer point of view or from an employee point of view dealing with this when it seems like things are continuing, things are still going to get worse before they get better? Yeah, I mean, if for employers, there's an obligation to keep a safe workplace. So whatever precautions you can take, um, maybe you stop having meetings with individuals and you do meetings over the phone or uh, you provide masks if they're available or whatever you can do to ensure uh, you're limiting exposure or from the employee perspective, it, it may be helpful to work from home or ask your employer about different accommodations. Um, but, you know, we're all sort of figuring this out as, it, as, it, as, as we learn more. Uh, it sounds like, uh, though, at this point, too, on some level, don't overcomplicate it. In a lot of the measures you just talked about were something that a lot of workplaces do during a flu season. There's no question. It, it, it is very, very similar. Um, and it's just limiting some of that interaction, person-to-person interaction, which, uh, as you aptly pointed out, in today's day and age is, is, is much easier to do than 20 years ago when, when SARS uh, emerged. All right. uh, We will leave it there. Stephen, good advice. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Stephen Gilman is an associate at Semfiro Tumarkin LLP talking about uh, what to do, what you need to know if your workplace is shut down or altered because of COVID-19. All right, a heavy focus on COVID-19 and what has been happening around the globe and right here in BC. As you heard on the news, another care home, this one on the North Shore as well. Two confirmed cases of COVID-19 and that is according to a spokesperson for Rivera Living. That is the company that owns the care home and we will get you more information on that as it becomes available this afternoon. A lot of people are watching what is happening around the world when it comes to travel bans, when it comes to countries like Italy under lockdown. The uh, news today that gatherings of more than 250 in some places are being banned. The various events that have been postponed and cancelled, the sporting organizations, the list goes on and on and on. And a lot of people are also looking at what's happening in the markets and wondering about their personal finances and their personal financial situation moving forward. So let's bring in Barry Choi, personal finance expert with Money Sense magazine. Barry, thanks so much for taking a bit of time with us today. Yeah, anytime. Uh, Are you hearing from people that are concerned and wanting to know what does this mean for personal finances? (laughs) I think everyone's a little concerned. You you know, a couple weeks ago when it was a bit of a 10% drop, it was like, oh, that hurts. I think now we're close to 30%. Uh, so people are really, really starting to wonder what's going on. Is this the bottom is going to keep going? And more importantly, what should they do for the future? And so what advice, and not that there's a one blanket piece of advice that works for everybody, but what advice are you giving people? I think the best advice is to not panic. I know it's easier said than done. You know, we talked about that 30% drop, but, y- you know, if you stick to your investment plan, talk to your investment advisors, they'll tell you the same thing. They'll be like, yes, this is a normal thing. It happens every so often. But if you're investing for the long term, 30 years from now, this drop now will not affect your retirement. And for those of you who are listening who are already near your retirement, there's a good chance that your portfolio managers have already made adjustments to your and less riskier things. So, yes, of course, there's going to be a little bit of a drop. But if you've stuck to that plan long term, you shouldn't have any real concerns. And you make a good point. It's very different, I would imagine, the reaction today from somebody who, say, is one year away from retirement compared to somebody mm-hmm. who's still 20 years away. 
Mm-hmm. So well, the funny thing about people who are really close to retirement, they'll probably tell you they've seen this before. You know, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, we, we had uh, what was arguably the biggest financial crisis in a while. Uh, you know, I'm not going to date people and go far as the Great Depression, but my point is people have seen these drops. They know it comes and goes. But I think it's a really eye-opener for younger people who, who at the time were saying, like, you know what, I've got a lot of risk tolerance. I'm more than willing to take on all this risk. And now there's a real test. You know, you're seeing that 10%, 30% drop. So some of those investors are probably starting to wonder, like, do I really have this risk tolerance? Am I really doing the right thing? And hopefully they haven't panicked and sold all their investments and are, you know, just hiding it under their mattress now. Uh, but it's a good time to really reexamine yourself and how you want to invest in the future. Uh, we, we've talked about this in the past, too, when, when you talk about people who have seen this before, because it can also lead to opportunities, can't it? I think it's an opportunity. You know, I, I joked to some of my peers that, like, when there was a 10% drop, I was like, I'm buying. I bought more right away. And now I look like the fool because I didn't wait a little bit longer and bought today, right? Uh, but, you know, in the, long, in the grand scheme of things, to me, it's like, if you're regularly investing every single month, dollar cost averaging, it does not matter because you'll buy when it's high, but you're also getting this great discount right now. Uh, so you're definitely a buying opportunity for investments. Uh, so again, stick to your plan. Uh, exactly. And that's and you said this right off the top as far as uh, don't panic. But I, I can understand also why people would be because this is something as well. Mm-hmm. It's not like we see a pandemic every day. We see the World Health Organization declare this a pandemic a pandemic. And, and inevitably, there is going to be some level of panic. There, there definitely is. And this, again, like this is a good opportunity to really reevaluate yourself. So we talked a little bit about risk tolerance, but maybe looking at your portfolio overall. If you were all in stocks, maybe it's like, hey, you know what, this wasn't the right plan. Or if you, if you didn't have any other investments, you didn't diversify. Uh, again, this is just an opportunity for you to reexamine what you have now and think about what you want to do towards the future. Uh, I admit it hurts, you know, seeing the markets drop. Uh, but again, I'm reminding myself, I'm 20, 30 years from retirement still, so I've still got some time to go. And when you mentioned, too, and you said that there's a good chance that advisors or people that are looking after finances have already made some adjustments, uh, should people be worried then if they haven't heard from their financial advisor? Well, you, you know, I think good fee only financial advisors probably calling their clients and just to let them know what's going on. So they wouldn't have made adjustments just because there's been a market drop, right? They know this happens also. So what I'm saying is, if you're close to retirement, years ago, they've already probably adjusted your portfolio, so you're in, in less uh, riskier investments. Uh, you, you know, there are some advisors who make very reactive moves, uh, and they're saying, hey, you know, I see the market's dropping, we're going to move you to this instead. That might not be the best advisor for you, because quite often, they may not actually know what they're talking about. Uh, it's, it's a weird industry where, you know, technically anyone can call themselves an advisor, so you really got to be careful about who you're working with. And this is why I think it's very important to make sure you establish a relationship with your advisor so they can explain to you in plain English uh, what they're doing. And more importantly, you want to be on the same page as them. Uh, you don't really want someone to just blindly invest your money. You want to have some say, say in your own matters. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking a lot about the coronavirus, about COVID-19, but there's also been the ongoing issues with oil production. And that, uh, I mean, it's happening at the same time, but not necessarily linked. Are people concerned? Are you hearing from people concerned about that as well? Yeah, in, in a different way. So it's, it's funny with oil prices. A lot of people get really excited when they uh, see oil prices dropping. You know, I was in the U.S. for a few days, just three days. When I left, uh, when I came back, rather, I noticed that it dropped 15 cents. I wasn't even paying attention. So, so in this last day, people are, are really, really excited about these lower gas prices. But what they don't realize is 
a lot of Canada's economy depends on oil. Uh, so even though the prices are down for us in our pocket, nationally speaking, it's not necessarily a good thing because it just lowers our, our economic growth in the long run. Uh, so, so sometimes it's one of those things where it's like, be careful what you wish for. And are you thinking too, or seeing that perhaps people are reacting more to this and that it's not just a drop in the markets, it's coupled with, here we have the United States president talking about banning all travel from Europe and uh, making false claims when it comes to people mm-hmm. being uh, being uh, quarantined when they come home. I mean, there is so much information out there. Not all of it is legit. There's just so much information out there to try and ingest. Yeah, it's it's crazy what's available out there. You, you know, I think some of the population is starting to realize that, hey, you know what, maybe the media isn't overblowing things as, you know, some politicians may have claimed that they were doing, right? Um, you know, the drastic measures that the U.S. took yesterday, it sounds like Europe was didn't even have a heads up about it. Uh, as a frequent traveler, I'm actually more concerned about what politics may come into play, what kind of quarantines may come, as opposed to the virus itself. Because at least with the virus, I know how to protect myself to a certain extent. You know, I ha- wash my hands, hand sanitizer, avoid crowds. But what happens if I'm in another country and all of a sudden the politicians decide, hey, you know what, we're going to lock out all the planes, no more flying. It's like, I'm stuck. That's my bigger concern. And so I think people are becoming more aware of what's going on and are taking some extra steps, which is a good thing. Uh, exactly. And, and and the things that we don't have control over. And w- what are your thoughts then on, on many people right now having the very real fear of a recession? <laughs> I think it's it's a good fear because we're, we're pretty much there, right? We're already in the bear territory. We've, we've dropped 30%. Um, you know, the technical definition of recession is has not technically reached, but at the same time, it's like we're down 30%. There's, there's no denying it. Uh, so it kind of just goes back to what we were saying. You, you know, you got to stick to that investment plan or original plan you've got or reevaluate what's what's going on. Uh, maybe maybe diversify. So uh, technically speaking, the recession won't be there. But, you know, when the government of Canada takes drastic uh, steps such as reducing interest rates, it's, it pretty much says itself. And I think people really need to – this is a good time for people to really understand how finances work. Some people see a lower interest rate and they just think to themselves – oh, I can buy a bigger house because now interest rates are lower. Yes, you technically can, but you're also picking up more debt. And just because rates are low, that may not necessarily be the best thing you want to do, especially at this moment of time where the economy is not doing very well. All right. Good advice. Uh, Barry, we'll leave it there. But thanks so much. Uh, This is something I know a lot of people are concerned about and wondering about. So thanks so much. Anytime. Barry Choi, a personal finance expert with Money Sense Magazine. Jill Bennett in the chair today, as you heard on the news, uh, with the sports, well, many sporting events cancelled, postponed until a later date. We're talking about the major events, hockey events, basketball, a lot of things you might head off to a restaurant to catch and enjoy an evening out. Those are cancelled. So will that be a big blow to the restaurant industry? Joining me is Ian Tostenson, CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Association. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Jill, for uh, letting me go on. <clears throat> uh, so we just got rideshare in time to get people out and home <laughs> safely, and now this. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to connect those dots. I'm sort of figuring how can that success help us here. I mean, uh, this is true. I, I what, um, Yeah, so the short term here is, is not good. Um, incremental sales, um, you know, with the Canucks and with probably concerts and cruise ships. But what when listening to the newscast, everything is, is temporarily postponed, not canceled. Right. And I really believe that um, the decision we have to make 
you know, as as citizens here, is that it's today and it's three months or five months from now. And I think five months from now is going to be a different world and a much more uh, informed and, um, and in a world that's calmed down. So we're going to take a hit here. There's no question about that. Um, there's going to be a lot of businesses, uh, especially in downtown Vancouver, that rely on, I think, a, a cruise ship brings in $3 million each time it lands. And that's off the table. I'm in Victoria right now. It's the same issue with cruise ships. But I think, Jill, our ability to look at restaurants as a, an objectively a very safe place to go, very clean place to go, a very uh, great place for food security, and to not abandon restaurants. There's just too much at stake here. But if restaurants do what they do well in terms of protocols and safety and hygiene, there's no reasons why we should we should abandon them, and we can all fill in for um, the business that we're about to lose in the next three or four months. And do you think, or are there that you're hearing uh, enhanced protocols? Because I mean, I've worked in restaurants; it's been a while, yeah. but I immediately thought of the servers and people who are going to be inevitably. You touch glassware, you touch cutlery, you touch plates. You're going to be touching the very surfaces that could be the most uh, the most toxic when it comes to this uh, this stuff. So, is there? Do you know of enhanced protocols to keep restaurant workers safe? Yeah. So there's protocols, and and now there's. Sort of, someone said to me, "We're doubling down on it, so we're going to make sure that everybody is really diligent about this." So, yeah, right. Sir, make sure to wash your hands. Right. We keep telling us to wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Sneeze in your in your arm. All those things. Um, my son was in a restaurant last night, and I said, "How do you feel about that?" He goes, "I don't care." He said, "It was great." <laughs> and he said, "But they did something that was really cool." He said, "As soon as the guests left the table beside us, they came in and they sanitized the table." So we are going to encourage those visible cues that people know, you know what, these guys are on top of it. Those things are important to know that the place is being cleaned. Maybe you have to have some signs that say our employees wash their hands. I know it sounds elementary, but the public needs to have that assurance of the things that we do normally. I think we have to put them up front now just to remind them because otherwise we're going to lose. It's going to go the wrong way. And we don't want to be what happened in Seattle. Uh, Seattle is a disaster. But because they created zones and restricted zones in Seattle, but there's restaurant groups that are closing, like the restaurant group that shut 12 of their 13 restaurants down and for three months. That doesn't serve anybody uh, anybody's purpose. But I, I don't think we're going to get to that here, Jill. Um, I think the provincial government has done an awesome job at information. It's 3.30 every afternoon in CKNW. That's really good because it builds confidence. And I saw the health minister today and, they're really confident about uh, what's going on in British Columbia and we're in control and we can't measure British Columbia um, and compare, well, we compare, compare it to the United States and say, boy, we are just light years ahead of what they're doing down there. And you mentioned it as showing what's happening in the States and as far as restaurants. Looking as well, and again, hopefully it doesn't get to this point, but even looking at Italy and people, we were talking to people since that country was put on lockdown and saying, yeah, in many cases, the restaurants are still open till 6 p.m., but there's this rule that you have to be at least a meter away from people. So you certainly couldn't pack the restaurants. The tables themselves in a lot of restaurants are much closer than that. I mean, is there a concern with those kind of measures potentially coming to BC? I don't think so. Um, I mean, if we get, I was just saying, if we get to that stage, we've got bigger problems. Um, I think we, you know, that we'll keep distance. I think people are now getting comfortable with distance, cleanliness. Um, No one shakes hands anymore. It's quite something, you know, everybody's bumping and doing that thing. It's kind of fun in a way. But I don't think we're going to get that. I I think you're going to see 
probably not those crowded situations, and and that'll probably adjust itself normally. I really do believe that people that are sick aren't going out. I don't think that we have a risk of, you know, I was actually um, yesterday, there was a woman in an elevator. I was going to see my accountant, and, I, and she goes, I don't think you want to get in here with me. She's wearing a mask. She was sneezing, coughing, and she looked just horrible. And I said, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm thinking, like, what are you even doing out walking around? But if that person was sitting in a restaurant, I'm sure that the people in the restaurant would ask her to leave because it's just not on now considering all the risk that we're, we're faced with in terms of this, um, this, this situation in the world. Right, unless she was on her way to the doctor's office or on the advice <laughs> of the clinic going to where she was supposed to go, that seems like she shouldn't have been in that elevator. Well, no, and, I, and it's funny because maybe three weeks ago I could care less, right? Just say, oh, the poor person has a bad cold, but now it's a whole takes on a whole different thing, and people sneeze, and so I think that we're very alert that way, and that's going to really serve us well in public places where people go, you know what, I'm going to keep my distance or do the right thing, and, and so I come back to the fact that in restaurants there's enough space and and protocols for sure in our world that um, it's you know I think people are going to need restaurants. I've said this before. They need to go there and they need to, to chill out and they need to sort of put the, the, the disaster of the world away from them right now because it's going to come back. I mean, we've been talking about labor supply. Well, that's still going to be a problem in six months. So, you know, uh, changing your menu, you still don't want to do that. I mean, there, there is going to be tourism. There is going to be airplanes flying again and the world will normalize. And so we can't, we can't forget that goal. We just got to get to that goal to allow us to keep these businesses open. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned uh, the the kind. Of, I think you said that writing off the cruise ship industry. Uh, have you been told that there won't be a cruise ship industry or that the season will be postponed in Vancouver? No, we're assuming that um, only because Princess uh, today uh, they've uh, put a, a sixty day. I think a sixty year sixty day hold right. on their cruises worldwide, and so I think they're going. It was going to pull back and and um, and just kind of take a breather. I think. Um, I, I'd be really hard considering that cruise ships have been uh, having some issues for the government to say, oh, no, no, bring the cruise ships in. The only way that's going to work is the cruise ships can prove to the consumer that they've got it locked and loaded. And I talked to somebody in the cruise ship industry this morning, and they said, you know, th- these cruise ships are really, really, really well-trained, well-done, but, it, you know, this, there's been a few incidences until they rec- increase that confidence. I think there'll be a breather. So I'm, I think what we'll see is maybe the cruise ship industry that's postponed for a couple of months but not cancelled. All right. And in the meantime, uh, as you said, your advice, uh, go to restaurants if you want, that people need not be afraid uh, to no. go to restaurants and to enjoy them. Absolutely. And you know what? It, you know, our favourite topic is, um, I think one of the, when, it's funny now, but, but I think one of the things that will help is that people can actually get to restaurants now because of all the work everybody did on Uber and Lyft and, and feel good about that. And um, so, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, this is and if it gets to a point um, that there's bigger concerns and restaurants won't be open by this point, I can tell you this industry is just locked and loaded and ready to serve. All right. I'm sure we will talk to you again about this. Uh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> Ian, thanks so much. That okay, is, bye. Bye-bye. Ian Tostenson, the CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Association.